This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. TuneIn is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. The clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You said my world on even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. Let's go there. With Shira and Ryan. Entertainment. Music. Pop culture. LGBT plus news. Let's go there. Start now. Hello. Happy Tuesday. This is Let's Go There with Shira and Ryan where we catch you up on the news of the day, pop culture, our crazy lives, and so much more with fun music in between on Channel Q. I mean, speaking of fun music, I never get tired of our theme song. I really don't. And like, if, if yeah. you're look, watching from Instagram, you, mm-hmm. you you have to tune in. Um, follow us on Instagram at LGT Show. But I, I, I just remember the time that me and Shira used one of her influencer friends to make us this theme song. And it's been yep. it forever. Forever. <laughs> we'll be 80 and still using this. We're, we'll just, on our rocking chairs, just... Ding, ding, it ding, makes ding. me bop my head like a night at the Roxbury. <laughs> you know when they bop their head? Yeah, I mean, it's a throwback. That that theme song really makes me believe that we're getting into some hard hitting news. Not really, you know it, <laughs> or like we're going to some sort of club. Yeah. Right? Well, oh, we are God. celebrating because it is producer Vanessa's birthday also today. Yes, it is. Everyone, I mean, everyone. If you hear the sound of my voice, go to at LGT Show. And send producer Vanessa a happy, happy birthday. Do it right now. And if you do it, we'll read it on air. Because we want to just dedicate this moment. She works so hard putting this show together. She really, really deserves it. Vanessa, we love you. Yes, I mean. So much so, I got her a cake pop. Which, really? You're just going to feed her? She she, She likes cake pops. I mean, she likes sweets. That's a difference. That's true. It makes it easy, actually. (laughs) It's so hard to buy things for people who just don't like those things like I hate chocolate I hate dessert I hate this and you're like what do you want me to buy you for any celebration anyway well we have a lot coming up on the show today in 15 minutes we're gonna be talking about how Biden will take on the anti-trans bills across the country plus how to hack your memory coming up at 425 p.m. Pacific 725 p.m. Eastern but first let's get into some what's trending this hour uh, this is a, a bit of an early Yaz Queen, a little shout out because uh, Reverie, which is the first global LGBTQ plus network, will premiere its first original queer centric news series, Culture Q, Thursday at 8 you p.m. Eastern. Let, you should have let me read it so I could have big up to you because like you, now it just seems like you're promoting yourself selflessly. So you can step in here. Yeah, okay. So here's the thing. Our our queen, the, the host of this beautiful show, Cheryl Lazar, has a new show called Culture Q on Reverie. It's the first global LGBTQ plus network space think like the queer Netflix or the queer Hulu and it's absolutely incredible they you know tapped on her and her company and my favorite person Andy Lawani of What's Trending um, where they're going to cover entertainment pop culture you know LGBTQ news 
It's absolutely incredible. It's, Culture Q yes. is a weekly news series. So honestly, if you want to check it out, their their first interview is Deshaun Wesley of HBO Max's Legendary, which I'm obsessed with. Maybe Shira will actually watch RuPaul's Drag Race at this point. I think point. I need to at this point. <laughs> Although I did not. It was Andy that did that interview. But yes, I do get to catch up. I'm going to like get my boyfriend. We're going to get a bunch of onesies and just like not leave our home all weekend. So download Reverie. And the show's going to air at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific. Every single or well, not Thursday. every single day. It's a weekly Thursday, wrap up. Yes. Yeah. But that's super cool. So you, you listen to this every day, and then you catch up on everything of the week. You just go to reverie.tv. Anyway, all right. Yeah, let's if get... you want Shira without me, then you, you're always you going to somehow be involved, by the way. That's your round of applause. Oh, appreciate it. Appreciate the support. Uh, now, okay, I guess we're going to give you some more of Speaker Pelosi and how uh, she basically dragged the GOP. That's coming up next hour on What's Trending This Hour. But what's happening in entertainment news, Ryan? Oh, God. So Caitlyn Jenner dropped her first campaign advertisement ahead of California governor's uh, and Governor Gavin Newsom's likely recall election. It's time for the T-Report. Those pop culture stories trending right now. So during the three-minute video release today... Caitlin, a lifelong Republican, labels career politicians as elitist, but declares that she will be a governor for all Americans. Mm-hmm. Here is a little bit of what she unfortunately had to say. Wait. Oh, great. Oh, God. I, it's I, coming. It's coming. I promise. The government is now involved in every part of our lives. They've taken our money, our jobs, and our freedom. California needs a disruptor, a compassionate disruptor. I came here with a dream 48 years ago to be the greatest athlete in the world. Now I enter a different kind of race. So it's really interesting. Okay, this is getting real. It's interesting that she deems herself to be a compassionate disruptor, especially when she just said this. This is a question of fairness. That's why I oppose biological boys who are trans competing in girls' sports in school. It just isn't fair. Where's the compassion in that, huh? Right. I mean, yeah, it's about three minutes. Like I said, it's way longer. I only played a little bit of a clip because I'm not trying to traumatize you all. But because we are a show who reports on the news, I felt like it was very important for us to play it regardless. Of course. I mean, it seems like... She's going to be uh, part of our show a lot these days. <laughs> oh, my God. I thought we got we got rid of Trump. But we thought we got rid of the Kardashians. The show got canceled. <laughs> or, yeah, I mean, stop. I'm actually okay with uh, talking about the Kardashians. I, I still actually really like them. It's just like I feel like we got rid of Trump, and now we got Caitlyn Jenner. So let us know what your thoughts are. Keep the conversation going. At LGT Show, do you seriously think Caitlyn Jenner has... A chance. Let us know. Uh, Bachelor T Report. I got more coming up next hour. Uh, now, coming up on the show, how Biden is preparing to confront states' anti trans bills. That's next with Glad. I also hope Congress will get to my desk the Equality Act to protect LGBTQ Americans. For all transgender Americans watching at home, especially young people. You're so brave. I want you to know your president has your back. 
Yep, that was President Biden at his State of the Union address calling for Congress to pass the Equality Act with a message to trans Americans. Uh, But the administration now is preparing to directly confront the many anti-LGBT and specifically anti-trans bills that have been brought to state legislators. Here to share more is Zeke Stokes, a Democratic strategist and advisor to GLAAD and former chief programs officer at GLAAD. Thanks for being here. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. So how does he plan to confront these differently than in the past? This was, of course, announced that they were planning on something with the HRC today. Right. So, you know, the president's Department of Justice um, back in 2016, when we were fighting uh, the so-called bathroom bill in North Carolina, was very instrumental uh, in actually filing a complaint against the state of North Carolina Um, suing the state initially um, because it was violating the civil rights of its uh, of its own citizens with the passage of HB2. So um, a lot of us in the LGBTQ uh, advocacy community are really hopeful that the administration uh, is going to take similar action in this case against the state. Literally, you know, the governor of Tennessee is signing bills today, anti-trans bills today, um, is going to take action against states that are putting uh, LGBTQ people, particularly trans people, particularly uh, trans youth uh, in harm's way with these bills. But I also don't want to minimize what the president did in his joint uh, session, uh, his address to a joint session of Congress last week. Um, You just you just played the clip. Very important for for LGBTQ people, for trans people, for young people in particular to hear the president standing up for them and just think about what a difference a year makes, you know, from 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 a president uh, that was uh, fighting our community at every turn, you know, rolling back the progress we've been making, attacking LGBTQ people and trans people, the trans military ban, the list goes on and on. To this president standing up for us, it really is night and day. And so I think we can be really pleased with where we are just 100 days in, but we obviously have a lot more to do. Yeah, we really do. And, you know, the Equality Act is something that I feel like we continue to hear about and talk about. It, it takes it needs about 60 votes to pass in the Senate. And of course, Republican senators are not probably going to show much support of it, um, as we've seen. So what is it going to take for this to really happen? Is, you know, President Biden going to have to sign some, you know, executive action? What What more are we going to have to do? Because we know that Republicans are not going to jump on board. Well, you know, it looks like you're right. It seems it seems really hard to get to that 60 vote threshold um, to uh, to avoid the filibuster. And, you know, one of the things that's really concerning to me is that um, we have this filibuster in the first place, which doesn't allow majority to rule in the Senate, but really allows a small minority to block votes on important bills. Wow. We were able to get through, um, uh, you know, COVID relief and perhaps we'll get infrastructure the infrastructure bill through uh, on something called reconciliation, but that's because those are budget-based bills. Um, the Equality Act is a civil rights bill um, and unfortunately um, is subject to this filibuster. So, you know, I think one of the questions we have to be asking uh, ourselves as a community is uh, is whether or not um, the Equality Act um, is, is going to fall victim to this and whether or not we ought to be campaigning uh, against this filibuster and, and calling on senators like Joe Manchin in West Virginia and Kirsten Cinema in Arizona to change their position so we can get things like voting rights, uh, the John, John Lewis Voting Rights Act, the Equality Act through the Senate. A lot of the things that um, President Biden and Vice President Harris got elected to do uh, are going to be held up if this filibuster is in the way. So, you know, that's a lot of 
process talk, but it's important in terms of the way things actually get done in Washington. Yeah, definitely. And how closely will they be working with organizations like HRC along the way? And glad. And glad. Yeah. Absolutely. I think very closely. Uh, you, you saw today that uh, Alfonso David, the president of HRC, uh, spoke very candidly about the conversations he's been having with the administration. Um, lots of organizations, including GLAD and others, are having similar conversations. Um, and, you know, it's, it's clear to all of us, I think, that this president believes uh, that LGBTQ rights are human rights, um, particularly uh, trans rights. He said it's one of the great civil rights fights of our generation. So we know where this president's heart is. Um, and we're we're confident that, that he and the administration are going to do everything they can, uh, not only to fight these state level bills, which is where we started the conversation, but to get the Equality Act across the finish line. But it takes all of us as a community to have their back. So we need to be calling our senators, uh, regardless of what state you're in. One of the stats I heard the other day was folks who oppose the Equality Act are calling their U.S. senators uh, five times more than we're calling our U.S. senators. So I would urge folks who are listening wherever they live to call their U.S. senator, even if you think they already support the Equality Act, and tell them thank you. Or if they don't, tell them why it's important to support it. Yeah, and I, I think we need to also continue to encourage the DOJ uh, to, you know, pursue legal actions against the states passing these anti-LGBTQ plus bills because that's really important as well. But thank you so much, Zeke, for joining us and giving us that call to action because it's so important. Mm-hmm. You're so welcome, and thank you for covering this and for all you you all do to uh, keep the community informed. Oh, thank you. Well, that was Zeke Stokes, Democratic strategist and advisor to GLAD. Have a great day. Thank you. Yeah, coming up on the show, House Republicans are trying to cancel Liz Cheney for speaking up against Trump. More on that next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Republicans in the House of Representatives are trying to throw Representative Liz Cheney out, Liz Cheney, out of her leadership position because she keeps telling the truth about the 2020 presidential election. But they won't actually admit that that's the reason why they're trying to kick her out. Here's House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy on Fox News. No, there's no concern about how she voted on impeachment. That decision has been made. I have heard from members concerned about her ability to carry out the job as conference chair, to carry out the message. We all need to be working as one if we're able to win the majority. Remember, majorities are not given, they are earned. And that's about the message about going forward. Combating Joe Biden, what he's done to this border by making it insecure and what's coming across. Just what he's doing here about small businesses, not opening schools, not getting us back to work, back to health, back to normal. That's the message we should be talking Mm -hmm. about. I haven't heard members concerned about her vote on impeachment. It's more concerned about the job ability to do and what's our best step forward that we can all work together instead of. Okay, that was House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy on Liz Cheney. Uh, with us right now is politics editor from the Washington Post, Dave Clark. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. So what's the truth behind this? Because uh, we know that Trump put out a statement that, you know, again, the fraudulent presidential election of 2020, that it's a big lie. That was on Monday. And then she tweeted back saying it was not stolen. So what's going on here? Well, essentially, it's just, you know, the real debate over here is that House Republicans want Liz Cheney to stop um, 
calling Trump out on his falsehoods about the election. And she's made it clear that she won't do that, that she sees it as an issue of principle, whereas, uh, you know, House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy and others kind of want her to just move on, stop talking about it, similar to how Mitch McConnell has done in the Senate. And, you know, she's made clear she's not going to do that, that she thinks that the party needs to call him out and they need to say that the election was not stolen and that, um, you know, the, the falsehoods that the president was saying about the election played a role in the attack on the Capitol. And so at this point, it looks like, you know, sometime next week, she'll likely someone will raise a challenge to her leadership and there will likely be another vote on whether or not she should uh, stay in the number three position in, in the House. And, um, you know, it's, it's unclear right now that vote would go down, but it, it's uh, it's looking she, she survived one challenge before, but it's looking less likely to introduce her again. Yeah, but, you know, Liz isn't the only Republican who has sp- spoken out about, um, you know, Trump. And it, it does feel like if this continues to happen, that there is going to be this, you know, rift that's happening in between the party. Is this something that Republicans should really be putting their energy towards? It just feels like, you know, they're not on one accord in some way. It's weird. It's Well, it's actually great to see, but, you know, it's weird. Yeah, I mean, I think the group of people who are actually at this point willing to speak out against Trump is, is pretty small and getting smaller. So it's true. She's not alone. There's some other uh, House Republicans who have been pretty vocal, like Rep. Adam Kinzinger, but but they're not in leadership. So that's why she's kind of um, become the lightning rod for this. But, you know, if you look, a lot of the leaders who were, um, I don't know if I call them outspoken, but who acknowledged that, you know, after the um, attack on the Capitol that, you know, Trump was wrong and he bears some responsibility. They've really backed away from that, whereas Cheney has not. So at least as far as the House Republicans are concerned, they just they've said and they've made it clear that they feel like aligning themselves with Trump is the uh, the way they want to go ahead, that they think that's their best chance of winning the midterms. And, and you know, you played a clip where the majority leader said it's not about the impeachment vote. I guess maybe that's technically true, but it's, it's about the fact that she will not say she will not go along with Trump on the election, and that, and the rest of them have decided that they will, and they're not going to tolerate any um, any I guess uh, opposition to that. Yeah, it's interesting that someone like her is being called out, and then you have someone like Republican Congressman uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene, who's still there. The, the yeah. political queen. Right. Like, I mean, they they think that's appropriate. But then her just, you know, agreeing with what is the fact is not appropriate. Yeah. I mean, to be clear, you know, there's been some talk, obviously, some of the talk about um, Congresswoman Cheney is that, you know, she's in a a position where she's supposed to be doing the the messaging for the party and that she's not uh, in line with the party. But, you know, she really is in line with the party on almost every policy issue other than, you know, whether they should support Trump's uh, falsehoods about the election. Um, and, you know, obviously, whereas, you know, with Rep. Green, you know, there people have put out statements, you know, condemning or trying to create distance, but they haven't, um, you know, they haven't done much about her. They voted against the Democrats' um, vote to strip Green of her committee assignments. Um, even Liz Cheney did that. Um, just kind of further evidence that she's not, you know, there's really only one issue where she disagrees with the House Republicans. So, yeah, I mean, I think it's all part of, you know, we, had, we wrote a story this weekend about the, you know, the loyalty test right now in the Republican Party is whether or not you will, at the very least, um, tolerate Trump's uh, falsehoods, misstatements, whatever you want to say, about the election. And, um, you know, Cheney's one of a very small handful of people who won't do that.
She's going out of it. Yep. Well, that was politics editor Dave Clark from the Washington Post. Thanks for joining us today. Oh, thanks for having me. Coming Take up care. on the show, uh, Will Smith's big announcement he, he, he keeps sharing on social media, and it involves his body. Oh, God. That's next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Earlier this week, Will Smith got a lot of attention when he shared a photo of himself on Instagram looking a bit less toned than he usually looks. Basically, he has a dad bod, okay? He said in the caption, I'm going to be real with y'all. I'm in the worst shape of my life. Uh, and yeah, he had a pair of slippers on, boxer shorts, an unzipped windbreaker. He basically, it was like, had his belly out, all that type of stuff. But then that wasn't the end of it. Because we get it. All right. You're like all of us, right? COVID weight, I guess. Um, He then continued with this teaser of like a little bit of a boomerang video on his Instagram. And it seems like this is part of a bigger project that's going to happen. You know, like a transformation project. As I say, every time a celebrity talks about their weight or their their eating habits, it always follows, oh, I'm joining Weight Watchers. I have this brand deal with weight. You know, like they tell you about their going, you know, vegan for 90 days or their health journey for 90 days. And um, for me, I'm kind of annoyed. Okay, I'm why? really annoyed with this idea that Will Smith's body, which is perfectly fine, and so many people look that way and are still healthy and in shape, but the way that they're framing it and the way that he's framing it is like, oh my God, this is the worst shape he's ever been. He's like a slob. He looks disgusting. All of these things. And even the people reporting on it, I was watching um, Daily Pop on E! News. Okay. And they were talking about, um, you know, oh, my God, he looks so bad. It's the quarantine pounds. Really? I'm just he like, all right, so, yeah, there, there's a difference. What? So I don't, I think that to each their own, everyone is in their own bodies and knows what's comfortable for them, right? Yeah. And what feels healthy for them. If he's saying this is unhealthy for me and, like, he feels uh, that this is not him fit. like He's we have coming to, from a movie star Yeah, respect that. Right. But, yeah, of course he's a movie star and he's going to have this transformation because he has the money and support to do it. The one thing I think that could be interesting out of this um, is to actually see how, like, a process of how actors train for these, like, blockbuster roles. Because, like, typically we it's see the before and like. after. Yeah. Like, and that's, but still, it'd be at least interesting to go behind the scenes of the process, which I appreciate that. However, I hope then, does it send a sign to people like who obviously don't have these resources and whose body looks like this and they should own it and be happy with it, that it's not okay? Yeah, it's not even about the resources for me. It's about framing your body who, I mean, that video probably has like 11 million views or his like, you know, the average of his likes on his his platform on Instagram get like 11 plus million views, millions of views. And it's just so harmful for me to like go on Will Smith's page and then say, he's saying that body, he hates that body and then look down or, you know, people are just looking down at their body and just being like, okay, I guess. It's just... I think we just have to have a better conversation and it's really interesting how we 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 talk about fat phobia and just fatness in general and and it could just be the littlest, tiniest things that just plays into fat phobia. And we really need to start having those conversations because it's happening daily and people don't even notice how harmful it is because they're either making a joke about it or they're just taking like a little moment like this, just kind of brushing it off. But it plays into a, a really bigger conversation about what we're what we deem acceptable in this like society. And it's it's just um it's 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 damaging and it's harmful. And I, I hate to see it coming from Will Smith, of all people, oh, we who love I love Will him. Smith. Yes. So is there a way to do it 
in a positive way? Like, is there a way to show a before and after picture or, you know, say like, okay, I'm not happy with my body without it feeling like you're necessarily like making like these bodies are bad or shaming other people? Well, yeah, I think we need to take away the adjectives, how we're describing our body, saying you're in the worst shape of your life. I mean, you can judge that in your own way, but maybe don't say worst. Maybe just being like, I'm on this journey of trying to feel like the best self of mine instead of like making the attention and the adjectives that you're using to describe yourself so negative. Mm. I think little things like that can shift an entire caption or an entire way that we could think about it. Because I'm telling you, if I look in through those comments on that on that uh, picture, it's, it's probably people being like, oh my God, gross. Yeah, you do. You're right. Go Will Smith. Go. It's just like get behind him for yes making this great change for himself but then also will smith make sure that you're describing yourself in a public way better than that or maybe like owning the dad bod own it why not owning it and transformation coming soon yeah i mean he is he's always been a zaddy to me yep Okay, well, let us know what you think at LGT Show. Slide into our DMs on social media. But coming up, Britney Spears is sharing more about what she thinks about these viral documentaries about her life. More next on What's Trending This Hour. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Coming up this hour, how to apologize properly. That's something we can all use. And is an apology dinner really the way to go? That comes after that viral Reddit story. We have a therapist joining us to answer those uh, questions. Uh, plus, what Britney Spears thinks of documentaries about her. That's in the tea report with Ryan in a moment. But first, let's get into some what's trending this hour. Secretary Pete Buttigieg shared more about federal support for electric vehicle charging stations today. The idea here is to use uh, federal investment to kickstart the development uh, of these charging stations. We don't envision them as all being uh, purchased, owned, and operated by the federal government. But we do know that we have to make some uh, what I would call market-making investments to really help deploy these at scale and to get them out across different kinds uh, of communities and areas. I appreciate that because it is hard. I have a hybrid and I had electric and there are, are there, not a lot it, of charging stations around there. It's oh, not as accessible okay. yet. So that makes sense. Okay, so... In order to make it f- fully accessible and for people to want to buy these cars, they, they need, need to know to they everywhere. can be able to charge somewhere. Well, they should be somewhere. a gas station. There, are like a sta- there should be a station that's like an electric charging station. Kind of like Tesla. There you know are, where there's the usually Teslas like are. three spots. So if you're going to say many more people are going to be getting these cars, there needs to be more than just like four spots. But how long does it take to charge? Because don't you got to keep your car sitting there hours, and people are going to yeah. be sitting there for hours? Exactly. That's why you need like a whole... Par- you know, every spot should be an option to charge or it should be like half the... Uh, parking spots should be for ch- uh, charging cars. Yeah, it's it's really interesting. I, I didn't even think about that, how that kind of falls in line with what he's doing. Well, on the street, there's yeah. no, none on the street. There's very few. I mean, this is the future, and we should really be thinking about it, especially if it's helping our, our environment in a way. And so, yeah, and I mean, why not? I'd rather have that and then smell gas. Because that mean, would make me want to get an electric car. I would be like, oh, it's easy. It's right there. They Instead s- of going to have to find a charging station, that feels like annoying. Uh, yeah, they said they're going to be moving towards building 500,000 charging stations by 2030, giving tax incentives to consumers Girl, who buy I'll be EVs. 65 by then. And replacing 50,000 diesel transit vehicles. Uh, 20% of the nation's public school bus fleet will also be electric, and they're encouraging uh, car companies to also go electric. I mean, GM announced they're going to be going 100% electric by 
in like a few years. I don't know this specific day. Did you say fleet? A fleet. Oh. Now, over the next few months, the FDA will consider emergency use authorization of the Pfizer BioNTech coronavirus vaccine in children 2 to 11 years old. That comes as daily COVID 19 cases and deaths are now about one fifth of what they were during their winter peaks. And experts are saying that the country's improved numbers have a lot to do with the climbing vaccinations. And uh, finally, Derek Chauvin, the former Minneapolis police officer who was convicted of murder in the death of George Floyd, has filed a motion asking for a new trial. Chauvin's legal team alleges his ability to have a fair trial was affected by pretrial publicity. Yeah, that was what's trending this hour. What's happening in entertainment news, Ryan? Okay, so Britney Spears weighed in on the recent documentaries about her life in a very... Very lengthy Instagram post. It's time for the T-Report. Those pop culture stories trending right now. So Miss Brittany, she basically wrote a small novel calling out everyone who has had something to say about her life. And to be honest, the whole entire Instagram post was a little bit everywhere. But here's the tea you need to know. Uh, She said this, 2021 is definitely way better than 2020. But I never knew it was going to be like this. So many documentaries about me this year with other people's takes on my life. What can I say? I'm deeply flattered. Uh, She went on to call the docs, though, so hypocritical. She says they criticize the media and then do the same thing. She said, damn, I don't know, uh, y'all, but I'm thrilled to remind you all that although I've had some pretty tough times in my life, I've had way more amazing times in my life, unfortunately, my friends. I think the world is more interested in the negative. She said, why highlight the most negative and traumatizing times in my life from forever ago? I mean, damn. So are we convinced that she's not or she is writing her Instagram post now? Because, you know, the conspiracy is that she's never writing her captions and it's like some somebody who's controlling what they're putting out there. This seems like a stream of consciousness post. Like this is one of right? those like you're like just banging it out on your phone. And I'm not going to lie to you. Of course, the video that she posted with it was in in true Britney fashion of her like twirling and feeling her inner ballerina as normal. Um, But this is really interesting, though, right? Because she's most definitely not speaking. As we all know, she's set uh, to take the stand in um, the court battle over her controversial conservative case on June 23rd. So this is just the tip of the iceberg. I feel like she has a lot to say. And I'm interested in actually hearing it come from her mouth because... We don't really hear Britney talk a lot, and if we do, it's kind of like there's always some jokes aligned with it. Yeah, because she knows if she does a video, she might say the wrong thing. It's it's sometimes easier to write something out so you could read it, you could ask someone what they think, if maybe yeah. she asked her boyfriend or something. Uh, but it seems like... She's pissed? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, but then she wants to keep it light, right? It's like yeah. she's not standing in her power fully, like, no, this is wrong, I don't want to have any of this. Kind of, it reminds me a bit of... Me in terms of when I'm like, I don't like something, but I'm like, okay, but you know, it's okay. And that's a typical thing people do if they've had trouble really confronting hard things in their past. They want to make light of it. You know, I'm, I'm just going to say this here and as we oh. wrap the T-Report really quickly, I genuinely do think something's wrong with Britney. I think there's something happening um, oh, there. Oh, so do. Um, I do think that she's getting better. I think she's still a grown woman. She possibly can't take care of herself. But honey... Therapy's there, and I would not be shocked if she's completely enrolled. And she has her, her money life. for it. Yeah, um, for sure. By the way, though, I think because she's about to announce it's been closing this conservatorship whole thing, like she wants people to find out what's really going on. Yeah, so June 23rd. She, she has 
she might have mental health issues and she hasn't been able to share it so that people could just get it. Well, I don't think she would share that. Really? Because that's going to keep her conservatorship locked up. Um, but we're done here. Keep the conversation going. Find out more about this story and more of what she had to say. WeAreChannelQ.com. And uh, I got more tea report coming up next hour. All right. Next up on the show, what is the bystander effect and how it influences how we act and intervene in violent situations? That's next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. As more traumatic events continue to be captured and shared on social media, showing police brutality and more, researchers are looking at what it takes for someone to step up and intervene in violent or potentially life-threatening situations. Wayne Eastman is one of those researchers, a professor of supply chain management at Rutgers Business School. He teaches a course in business ethics and business law. Thanks for joining us. I'm glad to be here. So what led you to doing this work? Why is this important to take notice of? Well, there's a very famous old case, very sad case from New York City in the 60s that led a lot of people to feel that bystanders are apathetic and the more bystanders, the worse. Nowadays, it's a very different world, fortunately. And so I got interested in this as part of saying that what Darnella Fraser did in making her video is a new hopeful part of a new hopeful era. Yeah, it is really interesting. Um, I, I kind of really liked how you put the, that perspective into this because I was automatically thinking about, well, if a bystander doesn't feel the need to to do something, there's so many layers to it, especially if they're a person of yep. color in a very sticky situation oh, like yes. Darnella Frazier. Could you elaborate on that and how power dynamics and racial dynamics play at that? Well, it's all that hard. Um, it, there's not only um, Officer Chauvin, um, but there are a number of other police officers. There is no practical way at all to challenge Officer Chauvin's authority um, in a direct way. And so what Darnella Fraser, not alone, by the way, there were a number of other people who made videos, plus another member of the crowd or two who called out, they did act. You know, they were in their own way heroes. Um, she hit record and she really helped change the world by doing that. So what is the bystander effect that's talked about here and how does it impact all of us? Sure. Well, it's still something to be aware of all these years later. The very sad case that I mentioned was a young woman named Kitty Genovese who was murdered in New York City in the 1960s. And yes, unfortunately, there were some people who heard the sounds of the assault and perhaps, yes, saw something, but did not in any way call the police. This was taking place in the middle of the night. Um, and so that sort of phenomenon where bystanders sort of say, oh, gee, I don't want to get involved or somebody else will do something, that all got researched by social scientists in the 60s and 70s under the name of the bystander effect or bystander apathy. It's a real thing, you know, and so those of us who resist it, um, who stand up and do something, as Darnella Fraser did, more power to them, and may we all, you know, be inspired by that. Are more people willing to kind of react or, you know, do something in these moments um, when there's more people involved or less people involved? The research shows 
that although there is a bystander effect, we can sort of say, oh, after you, that in fact, when there are larger numbers of people, there's more likely, as with Darnella Fraser, that there'll be a response. That seems to especially be true when people can see one another. Um, It's a good thing. You sort of know that there are other people there. And so there can be a positive strength in numbers effect compared to all the people in the apartment building back in the 1960s in the middle of the night. They're all in their separate apartments. Maybe they hear something bad going on, but it's 3 a.m. in the morning kind of roll over and go back to sleep, and they're not witnessing it with other people the way Darnella Fraser was witnessing it on the sidewalk in Minneapolis with other people standing right next to her. I think that helped her and the others who stepped up to do the right thing. Definitely. What can we all take away from research like this and the work that you and others are doing? Well, I'd like it with more research that people are getting involved in doing involving, yes, social media and recording for it to be part of an optimistic sense that much as we face huge challenges as a society in regard to race, policing and many other topics. We also now have resources to respond in a way that wasn't available in the pre-social media era. So we as individuals, we have most of us, the recording power with our phones to be witnesses for truth and justice. And that is truly an inspiring prospect. I hope that people remember the name of Darnella Fraser as a symbol of that effect. Definitely. Well, thank you for joining us today. That's really powerful. You bet. That was you bet. And thank you so much for having me. And the enthusiasm as well, that's for sure. That was Wayne Eastman, a professor at Rutgers Business School. Coming up on the show, what is an appropriate way to apologize? And is this viral apology dinner the way to go? That's next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. We spoke about this viral Reddit post about an apology dinner. A mom basically got called out for trying to apologize to her daughter by making a whole dinner out of it, inviting the whole family, plus making a potluck. Really? A potluck? Plus, imagine you want an apology and the whole whole family's there. Uh, So everyone weighed in on this, the whole Reddit community and social media. But now therapists are weighing in as well. And one of those therapists are joining us today, Elizabeth Lamott, founder of DC Counseling and Psychotherapy Center. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me, Sierra. So what did you think about this viral apology dinner? Well, to be honest, I still don't really understand it. I didn't know what it was until Huffington Post reached out to me reporting on the story. But as a therapist, I'm always going to be pro-apology. I don't understand why it has to be called an apology dinner. And uh, at the same time, I can understand why somebody would want to include a meal in making an authentic apologetic conversation. But why? I think the thing that's triggering for so many people is um, this kind of elaborate thing that you're doing in front of others instead of having kind of a one-on-one situation doesn't feel like the best way of doing this. And apology dinners just doesn't even sound like it's genuine. The term is odd. I'm not a fan of the term. However, 
as a systems therapist, the way that I work makes the assumption that if something is affecting two people in the family, there's a chance it's affecting everyone. Interesting. So it really depends on the situation. If there's tension between a mother and a daughter, and it's also been playing out in triangles across the family, I can understand why if the mother is genuine in her desire to apologize, she may want to direct the apology to her daughter, but also have additional uh, amends that she makes to everyone. For me, it just yeah, this seems like a bit of a cop out because it seems like you're almost getting like support and a buffer just in case it doesn't go the way you want it to go. Or, you know, for for them to also support your side of the story. So it, you're kind of cornering the person instead of having an intimate conversation. And then if there are other issues, then you can kind of bring them in in a more consensual way. I don't think that's an apology. Well, that's the thing. That's why I think a lot of people are calling out that mom. It's like, yeah, if there's issues overall with the family, but like one thing at a time, you know, you're not like, I think that's kind of uh, cornering the person. It's not really fair. It depends on what it is they have to say, though, because if what she has to say is that she's discovered that she has been too critical of this particular daughter for many, many years, she's noticed this because now she's in therapy. She wants to authentically apologize to her and also have everybody else hear it because she realizes it was wrong. That is different than the way I think it is getting framed yeah. on it's social media. It's performative. Anyway, but no, I, I, I do wonder, um, because you, if you're pro-apology, what's the best apology? In my opinion, the best apology is an authentic one. And I I think we are unfortunately socialized to imagine that apologizing is weak when it's actually very brave and very strong. And I think we can use more of it. I'm not saying we can use more of apology dinners per se, but I view an apology as owning one's part in the equation of a relationship. So The best apology is one that authentically describes what the person wishes they had done differently and how they realize they have contributed to the fracture in the relationship. So that means you probably don't like cancel culture. Well, what, I think. Mm-hmm. What? Do, how do you feel about it? Oh, look at you! Whose show she's is a ther- it? She's a Who's therapist. Show she knows what she's doing. Um, not you asking me questions. No. Um. I well, I think <laughs> cancel culture is really interesting, right? I do think sometimes, like I've been taught when I was younger, like consequences have, you know, like well, actions have consequences, and you have to literally kind of, you know, show people and take the steps to understand and realize what you did wrong and apologize to that community and mean it and also show it in your actions because actions speak louder than words right and i think yeah that's that's my thing when it comes to cancel culture because if someone is refusing to kind of do that or do the work themselves on themselves then of course yes they deserve to be canceled because that type of thinking is just very one-sided and you're not trying to be in anyone else's shoes or understand anywhere where anyone else is coming from and so i do think uh, people have to have that moment to be able to show change within themselves but they also have to realize that guess what it's you publicly speaking about that or showing or whatever the the offense that you did you have to 
kind of regain the trust of the people that you hurt. And so th there needs to be that type of accountability there. And I do think sometimes cancel culture can give us that accountability that we need. Are you breathing or is that the wind? <laughs> that is the wind. I am right here with you. She's and very intensely listening. Absolutely right. I think you're absolutely right. And I think that cancel culture has sometimes a very powerful place in a particular issue. And what you're also touching on is that trust doesn't just happen because someone apologizes, no matter how great the apology. Trust needs to be rebuilt over time. So the best apology is also one that is followed with sincere, genuine, authentic change. Yeah, agreed. No buts. Don't add a but. But... Or if you didn't, and maybe don't do it over a pot roast right. with everybody. And, and there. definitely, definitely don't say "I'm sorry that you feel blah blah blah" oh, because that's not I had an to apology. learn that. That's something I learned. You know, I've been learning how to apologize. <laughs> I was not taught we this. Know. We know. I'm now my boyfriend says you say "I regret" because it means you wouldn't. If now looking back, you wouldn't do it anyway. Elizabeth yeah. Lamott, thank You're you so great. much for being here with us today. Thank you, Shira and Ryan. It's very good to talk with you. Elizabeth is the founder of DC Counseling and Psychotherapy Center. Coming up on the show is the CIA trying too hard to be woke. We react to their latest video next. Now they're the CIA. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. So the CIA has gone viral. Who knew we would say that? Uh, they featured this with intersectional and cisgender Latina mom and the video has been getting a lot of social media responses by the way this woman is a CIA agent which I think is pretty cool but a lot of people are calling it out saying it's woke propaganda gone too far here it is Oster syndrome, but at 36, I refuse to internalize misguided patriarchal ideas of what a woman can or should be I am tired of feeling like I'm supposed to apologize for the space I occupy rather than intoxicate people with my effort, my brilliance. I am proud of me, full stop. My parents left everything they knew and loved to expose me to opportunities they never had. Because of them, I stand here today a proud first-generation Latina and officer at CIA. I mean, I think this is great. This makes me want to join the CIA. But it was it too much? Are they trying too hard? Guess what? What? I agree with Republicans. Oh. Um, I I think this is cop propaganda. I, you're not going to make me fall in love with cops. You're not going to make me fall in love with any type of cop, which the CIA is basically a fancy cop. Who? <laughs> I mean, at this point, I just think of like James I, Bond and I'm, all that. They could never, and even then, it's they're part of a system that sucks. So for me, kudos to her and 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 doing what she's always wanted to dream. But it's propaganda. They're just trying to show that they're ahead of the times and don't hate us. We know, you know, our subordinates underneath us kill people on the regular basis, but we got ourselves a Latina. Yeah, and when We're you woke, go, we do. When you go to their Twitter. They also are featuring um, uh, uh, black, Asian, um, someone who I don't know who this other person is trying, but not no white people. So I feel like they're really trying to show themselves as progressive, I guess. Yeah. They're trying to be like kind of entering into this new time generation. 
Copaganda is what I'm, I'm coining it. <laughs> That's amazing. Copaganda. It is not for me, and I have to agree. It, it's it's just what. Uh, what's the point when your actions aren't really speaking? That I don't really even know what the hell the CIA does. Maybe they kill people in like private and not on a public way. Maybe they're like spies who kill people in private. I don't know. But either way, um, I'm happy that she feels like she's doing something amazing here and that the CIA really wants to amplify that. Great for them. But it's copaganda. What's so interesting is on their Twitter, they actually even showcase like um, how they conceal things and devices. Like they're making or they're trying to make the CIA cool. Did you ever watch Spy Kids? If the CIA was like Spy Kids, then we could have a different conversation. But they're not. What's interesting is I have a friend of mine that was actually recruited on LinkedIn by the CIA. What? Yeah. They went on his LinkedIn. Someone uh, you know that I'll tell you in the break. Oh, I know them. Yes. And I was like, well, what does it take? Like, what does it mean about you? Like, what does it say about you if you're recruited by the CIA. What are you showing in a way about but, yourself on social media or on these platforms? What is the CIA doing going to like basically the professional swap meet? That's what LinkedIn is. Well, it seems like they need people because they wouldn't be doing this if it was such a, you know, uh, sought after position. Well, my thing is, here's the real tea. If they're paying well, maybe I won't coin it <laughs> copaganda. Maybe we can make, like, we could be the new CIA team. This is, this is like the beginning of a movie or something. Maybe my thoughts will change. If they if they say they're paying six figures, wow. Copaganda? Who said that? I don't know. From radio shows. I love cops. To CIA partners in crime. <laughs> Shira and Ryan hitting the streets. Yeah, some people, I mean, it's just kind of like, I find this equivalent to the NFL you know, coming out with something that's very Black Lives Matter related. It just feels redundant. It feels stupid because you're still a part of a system that's crappy. But is it under a Biden administration? Maybe it's a, a better CIA. Who cares? Cops are still, I mean, cops are under a Biden administration. They still suck. Let us know what you think of all of this. Are they trying too hard to be woke? At LGT Show. Does this make you want to join the CIA? Let us no. know. Unless, well, let me look uh, at their benefits. Yes, of course. The money's got to be there. Just oh, saying, money talks. We live in capitalism. <laughs> coming up on the show, more details are coming out on the Bill and Melinda Gates divorce. That's next on What's Trending This Hour. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Coming up on the show today. Soon you'll be able to get therapy at a drugstore near you. Yep, more details on that in 30 minutes. Plus, a TikToker is revealing what happened when she matched with Ben Affleck on a dating app. That's in the T-Report. But first, let's get into some what's trending this hour. President Biden announced a new website for Americans who are trying to find locations to get vaccinated. We have formally launched a simple website where you can find the vaccination location closest to you. That site is vaccines.gov we say it again vaccines.gov go there now find a location to get the shot and make an appointment yep he also announced the administration is working with major sports leagues to incentivize fans to get vaccinated that includes ticket giveaways in-stadium vaccination and merchandise discounts how about a vacation that would have been cool Get your get a vaccine and two nights free stay in Cancun. 
on the government's dime. Exactly. Now, more news about the Gates divorce. Melinda Gates said her marriage to Bill Gates is irre- irretrievably broken. That's a word I don't hear he a lot. He cheated on her. Irretrievably. He cheated on you her. You think so? Yeah. You know, just because he owed don't mean it don't work. I hear that. That's how it works. That's according to court documents obtained today by NBC News. In her petition for divorce filed yesterday in King County, Washington, she said, spousal support is not needed. Oh. And a separation contract will determine property divisions. Uh, According to the document, it says, we asked the court to dissolve our marriage and find that our marital community ended on the date stated in our separation contract. It's not clear from the petition when the couple separated or if they had a prenup agreement. Do you think that's strange that she's like really kind of rushing getting out of this? Something like, must have happened. There needs to be something like, yeah, I don't know. What if Bill Gates has always been a lunatic this entire time? Who knows? He probably locked her in the basement. Wow. It's getting dark. <laughs> uh, I mean, you can't you can't be a charitable like philanthropist, yeah. you know, you and yeah, venture of the world, world's richest man, and not be a psychopath. There needs to be something on the other side of that. Yeah, like, or he, he chews with his mouth open. Oh yeah, that's that a would deal make, break. Yeah, seriously, <laughs> that 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 makes me want to ruin it all. Uh, Jennifer Catherine Gates, the oldest of her siblings, who's twenty five, wrote in a statement also. The daughter made a statement that has been a challenging stretch of time for our whole family. Oh, great. They all hate him. I'm still learning how to best support my own process and emotions as well as family members at this time. What Something is going has happened, on? I'm telling you. He done try. He's he's planning on taking over the world and they want to they want to get far as away from him as possible so they don't have anything to do with it. There's there's an evil plan. Don't you smell it? I smell it. Plan. There is an evil plan afoot. I mean, it it obviously was the wife's decision. Yeah, because guess what? Bill Gates is cray cray. Something is going on. I'm, I'm sticking with my conspiracy. It's what it is. Now, what do you think it is? No. I don't know. It's intense. We can come up with anything and everything. But really let's uh, move into some tea. What's going on, Ryan? Well, celebrities are just like us. And Ben Affleck and some random TikTok user is proving it. It's time for the Tea Report. Those pop culture stories trending right now. So Shira loves a good TikTok story. So this one combined with my love for Ben Affleck, it's a perfect match. So a TikTok user went viral um, across multiple social platforms. When she shared a video clip, she says she received as she unmatched, um, after she unmatched with Ben Affleck on the Raya dating app. Now it's a private dating app for entertainment professionals if you didn't know what Raya was. But here's what she said. She said in the caption, thinking of the time I matched with Ben Affleck on Raya and thought it was fake, so I unmatched him and he sent me this video on Instagram. Are y'all ready? Here it is. I got I need complete quiet. Naveen, why did you unmatch me? It's me. It's that was me. it. It's kind of creepy, by the way. I mean... It's me. It's really me. It's a little strange. Um, now, E! News actually contacted Naveen, who uh, insists she didn't mean any neg- uh, anything negative by sharing the clip. She said, I'm seeing a lot of comments calling him a creep, oh. <laughs> and I don't think that's fair. I wasn't making Oops. fun of him in the video. She was making fun of herself for thinking he was a catfish, and it was just supposed to be funny. I just think it's... 
awkward to share something like that when it was obviously like between you and that person. It's like an intimate moment. Someone obviously he was like looking to actually possibly date you. I mean, Shira, she really messed up her bag in the future. I mean, yeah, no one's going to trust her. What celebrities would trust her? If Little Nas X ever slid into my DMs, if I mean, I don't know, Cory Booker slid into my DMs. I am never telling a single so we're dying. I mean, I might tell Shira to be quite honest because we're going to gag and we'll just keep it a secret ourselves. But any man who is a celebrity with a you know an eight figure type of level of a bank account, I'm not saying a word. Well, so there's a difference between maybe a few years later, like joking around on a show, but then no. actually sharing that video. Not even then. I'm not saying anything. And That's how people ruin. Like they never get that chance again. She was lucky because she is cute, <laughs> but she'll never get that chance Here's again because thing. now she's viral. Now we're starting to hear a lot about this. Folks, you know, Raya is like an invite-only type of thing. You need to have a verified account to get in on Instagram. So uh, there aren't... Or really a lot cat- of followers. Yeah, they're not, there aren't really catfishes there. They're very specific in terms of who they approve. Which is why. Why would she think she was being so, catfished? So yeah, why? Doesn't she app? get it? She's, and, yeah. Uh, and yeah, anyway, so like that wouldn't have worked on something like Raya. But this is the second time I'm hearing yesterday when the whole Gates thing came out. Someone on Twitter was sharing how Gates hit her up on Raya and she thought it was fake and then he did the same thing. But maybe I think she was making fun of this chick. Yeah, I think she was making oh, fun of Oh, now that, that makes chick. sense. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but there like, are, there are two single hot rich men on the market if, you, if you're into the, the cis white guy look. Um, ben Affleck has been hanging out with J-Lo. That's your tea report I got more coming up next hour. Coming up on the show, we're talking about memory. Why we remember more by reading than from audio or video. I love a little mind analysis. That's next. Do you ever wonder why you remember things that you read versus what you hear or vice versa? Well, there's a reason behind that. And we are back. This is Let's Go There. Joining us right now. To dive in is Naomi Barron, professor of linguistics at American University and author of the new book, How We Read Now. Welcome to the show. Thanks so much. So as a professor of linguistics, you've been studying how electronic communication compares to traditional print when it comes to learning. What have you discovered? Discovered a couple of things, and it's not just me. It's lots of other people doing research. Namely, if you want to learn something and you're serious about it, If you read printed text, you're going to do a whole lot better than if you see it digitally. And by the way, if you're listening to the same content, you know, say in the podcast or say in um, an audio book, and you want to learn from it, not just relax and enjoy, you're going to do better if you read it. Yeah, that's actually really interesting, right? Because I I do feel like... (laughs) More people are probably, you know, doing Kindles now and Audible Audible books and all these things. So it does feel (laughs) like print, unfortunately, has this weird way. It feels like it's like not being used anymore. So, like, what are your thoughts about that as someone who kind of studies this? I, I have no objection to reading digitally. I have no objection to listening to audiobooks. I have no objection to seeing a lecture or something amusing on YouTube. But the question is, what's your goal? What are you trying to accomplish? When I am standing in line at a grocery store, which I can now do again, um, I am happy to read the newspaper on my phone, but I'd rather read it in print when I get home because then I'm more likely to remember it. I might cut out the article. I might 
I, I might send a digital copy to someone, but if I see it in print, I'm going to remember it more if that's what I'm aiming to do. Well, let's get into that. Why is your brain um, more likely <laughs> to remember things that you have in your hand or you're, you have in front of you versus hearing it or even reading it digitally? Okay, well, there are two things that work. One is your brain and the other parts of your body, like your hands holding something in print. And the other is how much effort you're putting into it. So first we'll start with, you know, the tactile or what's known as haptic sensation of, of, of literally holding print, holding words in your hand, knowing where in the book you saw something, where on the page you saw something, why this book is different from that other book, which you can do with print, but digitally they really all look the same. Then there's the question of how much effort we think it should take to read something. And there are lots of studies that have been done. And what's pretty clear is if we are listening, we don't tend to put as much effort. We tend to multitask more, among other things, than if we're reading. And if we're reading digitally, we tend to multitask and not put in as much effort as if we're reading print. Because so much of what we read digitally is, well, social media. And you don't spend a whole lot of effort um, when you're reading somebody's Facebook post or when you're, you know, checking out shoes or um, chainsaws or whatever you're looking for online. It's not a lot of serious reading. So we take that same mindset when we're reading something that's actually for learning and somehow think it's okay. It's not. Yeah, you know, I I can't help but think about... um educators especially in the in the midst of this pandemic that we just went through and still going through school was <laughs> online and so i can only imagine how students had to get used to testing and how should educators kind of be aware of these this method and how it can affect testing right so the first thing we have to know is most reading plus testing as you say have gone online you know whereas there were some digital books before. Now it's overwhelmingly digital and testing sometimes with a, a real pen and or whatever and a piece of paper, and that's gone. The testing literature suggests, not all of it, but enough for, to, to make us worry that if you're taking a test digitally, you don't tend to do as well as if you take exactly the same test by hand wow. with a piece of paper. Explains why so, I, I um, failed my, my license test the first time. I, I, it was digital. I did too, though. It was I mean, come on, I think most people do, right? No. Uh, so, I mean, how, I guess, yeah, this, this changes how we look at education, but are you right. worried as someone who studies this, like, are our brains changing in how we can maintain focus? Okay, so if you want to look evolutionarily, it takes a long, long time for our brains to really change. But if we begin with the assumption that digital, and let's just take digital versus print, if we begin with the assumption they're equal, then after a while we forget what it meant to concentrate on print. And things just become normally not much effort, um, sort of shallow approach to reading. And that would be disastrous not just for learning, but for, for enjoying things that we read. I mean, if, if, if you think about the things you read for enjoyment that really stuck with you, you probably didn't skim them and you probably weren't multitasking. And you probably weren't I mean, yeah, that's worrisome about the future. I mean, have you wow. seen the movie Idiocracy? And secondly, have you seen these apps <laughs> where they make, you could read a book in 15 minutes? Read your favorite books in 15 yeah. minutes. What's the problem with that? But no, I get it. I understand. And I, I think this, <laughs> this conversation has been so insightful because I just never knew 
too, that the way that we've been reading digitally can really kind of affect us in the long term. So thank you so much for joining us. You're so welcome. It's been fun to talk. Again, that was Naomi Barron, professor of linguistics at American University, author of the new book. Check it out and get it in paperback. Get the actual book, right? How we read <laughs> it's now. It's not in paper yet. you got to uh, get it in hardback. I'm sorry. Hardback, I mean. Sorry. One of the <laughs> one of the ones that is in real life, <laughs> not, not um, audiobook. Or... I mean, honestly, I would listen to you speak all the time. So. Yeah, you'd have a good audiobook. <laughs> That's true. I'm just saying. Uh, thank you again for being here. <laughs> You're so welcome. Coming up, therapy at CBS. What drugstores are doing to get in the therapy game. That's next. Let's go there. We'll be right back. Channel Q. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. CBS is currently offering therapy. Who knew? You can get your uh, shampoo... You can get your soap. What else do you get? I'm not really a CVS person. I'm like a Walgreens person. Okay. Well, you get the point. You're going to be able to get therapy at a drugstore. It's happening. Therapists are part of the chain's minute clinics within their health hubs. They provide a range of health and wellness products and services. And here to share more about how it works and the future of this type of therapy is Dr. Josh Claypo, who's a clinical psychologist. Thanks for being here for this. No, it's good to be here. Very exciting, exciting project that they're doing. Yeah, it is. What do you think about this model? Is this something we're going to see implemented everywhere at all drugstores? Um, well, I do share a lot of the idea of going in and picking up, you know, some coke and some pork rinds and getting a little therapy at the same time. Yeah, we, I mean, we're in Los pork Angeles. rinds and drugstores? First of all, we're in Los Angeles. you got to be specific about coke. I was, I was just <laughs> um, yeah, listen, I think this is... Y'all, this is really important because this is not a new concept. I mean, we've been talking about trying to move mental health outside of the specialty psychotherapy um, model and into what we call the front lines, whether that's in a primary care office, whether that's an OBGYN office. And I think all that CVS and CVS Aetna are doing is they're saying, okay, let's take it all the way to the front lines. Um, I think a couple things concern me a, a little bit. Okay. And it's it's always the number one issue, which is coverage and cost being a barrier to the services. So while the, the concept is really good, um, you know, to the extent that your EAP or your insurance company is not covering this, then depending on what the out-of-pocket costs are going to be, you're going to see the same barriers that we often see right now, which is, a lot of people just feel like I don't have the money to spend for that. So I think that's going to be the big issue is can they make it as easy as, you know, your copay for a medication or a generic medication? If they can, I think this is fantastic. Well, here's the thing. I also think about the quality of the the mm-hmm. the, the, the professional involved because for me, no shade – when I hear like a minute, you know, kind of therapy situation at CVS, it doesn't feel like I'm going to get the same type of quality that I would get from a you or in like my, my therapist that I'm, I'm getting. It feels like, yes, this is a great thing, but doesn't quality also kind of matter in the type of professional you're dealing with? It does. And Ryan, you know, that's a, I mean, it's a great question because it, it really illustrates not you personally, but what a lot of people, um, there's a lot of education that has to happen. The, the, the individuals that they have that they're using, at least for these pilot projects or these, these rollouts, these are all licensed therapists. Now, they, they may be social workers. Um, they're typically not going to be Ph.D. level psychologists, 
but they're they're the if you will, Ryan, they're the same kinds of licensed therapists that you may very well see out in the private sector. Mm, and so yeah. the quality of it, it should not be any different. And in fact, one could argue that at least the quality control of it is more consistent. Um, but I will say this. I think the one thing, though, that is a little odd and people are going to have to kind of get used to is what you just said is sort of picking up your meds and then stepping into, you know, it, it really depends on how private these minute clinics can be. Um, because it does feel a little bit odd, but I'll tell you, they're using those minute clinics for everything else. They're using them for primary care services. Um, so if you're going to go have somebody look at your throat because you've got a sore throat, why not sit down and talk with somebody? I agree. And it could be an entryway to more treatment, possibly if there's an ease to at least this first step, because that's always the biggest thing that taking that first step. It, it is sure. And and if you, Look at some of the um, research uh, that they're putting out. A lot of what they're doing, Sharon Ryan, is not just um, direct provision of services, but what they're doing is hooking people up with services in the community. Again, I see this all the time. The barrier besides finance, even if you have the money, is being able to get in to see someone. We're seeing this now with the pandemic. So to the extent that, that these therapists can either provide some care or at the very least, know how to direct you directly to somebody where you don't feel as lost, that's where we very often lose people to care is is the hassle factor. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for the work you're doing. I know you've written about this and you're working on the front line of the healthcare, mental health industry. So thank you again for being here for this. I appreciate it, guys, and I appreciate you letting me uh, weigh in on the topic. Yes, that was Dr. Josh Claypo. Check him on Instagram at Dr. Josh K. He has some great content. Coming up on the show, this teenager is making headlines for setting up his mom's OnlyFans account. What he wants in return, and is it wrong? This is so weird. We're debating that next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. There's a new trend that we want to talk about, about teenagers helping their moms with their OnlyFans accounts. That, I'm hoping that's not a trend. Well, it's I'm being reported. I'm hoping this is a one-off or I'm calling the police. No, well, in this article in uh, New York Post, so it, it features this son, Leonardo Hathaway, who's 19. But then also in it, it features another uh, person who has their 13-year-old daughter helping her. So let's first start with this 19-year-old. So uh, he basically helps his mom with the pictures. He said that we have an incredible relationship between mom and child. He's also a male model in London. And he, uh, Hathaway has posted or opposed without clothes for men's magazines before, but now the teen is backing his mom. So I guess he's into this too, and he's done some racy photos. Is this and now they're incesty? in it together. Like this feels very incestuous. Like what in the Game of Thrones is happening here? I mean, it seems like... This mom has been doing this for a while. She uh, was a Brazilian Playboy pinup, former Miss Bum Bum world winner. So she almost has a million Instagram followers. So the thing is, I wonder what if exactly is her son It becomes like normalized in the family where if you're in it, like in this industry, if like now he grew up in it and he feels like okay doing it, they'll do it together. What? Not in the same pictures. What? They're just helping each other. They'll out. do it together. Oh, this guy, no shade, but does he have very many friends? I'm looking at him right now. Um, I I don't understand this. Um, I think 
And he, she better be lucky that he's 19 and he's an adult because I would be calling Child Protective Services. I would oh. find the number. Um, because this is absolutely strange to me. Your son should not be helping you with your angles for your OnlyFans account. Now, this mom is beautiful, but this is disgusting. This is absolutely disgusting. I don't think she's disgusting. like just spreading it out there or like just completely. But even taking sexy lingerie photos. Are you kidding me? With her male, so I mean, this is well, just so. This weird. is the thing. I have a question. If it's it, weird, would it matter if he's gay or straight? Yes. So if he was gay, it would be okay. But if he's straight, well, it's no, weird. no, no, no. I, I, I don't think it matters. I think it's weird altogether. That's what I meant to say. I just think it's weird altogether. Well, do you think this is weird? There's also this woman, Carrie Katona. She revealed Look that at her, her. She's thir- like, wait. She revealed that her 13 year old daughter Heidi serves as her photographer for most of her pictures. Now. I mean, but wait, let me go look at her Instagram. Her name My is- kids are fine with it. You know why? Because they're making money off of it, too. They're all in it together. <laughs> Talk about a well, family bonding. Well, actually, Carrie, though, she's like a fashion boutique kind of mom. She's trying to be like, you know, one of those. She's not half naked on her Instagram. And plus, also, her Instagram does look like a 13-year-old. It, you know. This is on OnlyFans. It might be a bit more racy on OnlyFans. OnlyFans is that if your 13 year old or your child is involved in this, that is weird. I cannot imagine a parent being okay with that. I mean, it's interesting. And the, the thing is, what if your kid is like really talented? Are you talented? considering this? Are you no, trying to saying, justify this? I'm saying, what if your kid is like, I want to be a photographer. I want to do this. Then, girl, bitch, go take a uh, go go um go go take a picture of the dog out in the street. Go take a picture of mountains or the sky or clouds. Don't come take a picture of me in some damn lingerie posing sexually. Because you know what she's who she's performing for. The people subscribing to her OnlyFans are looking at this in a sexual way, and to know if she tells those folks, "Oh, guess what? My son's my photographer," or my thirteen-year-old, she's going to get the wrong crowd. Mm-hmm. There's something. I mean, I like the whole empowerment aspect of it, but yeah, what? I think therapy. What is the empowerment I mean, aspect ther- of it? Because maybe you're empowering them. Like, mom does this. Like, like I'm sure, taking control of my life, my so, body, which I think is a beautiful message. However, Shall yes, you- I do think this could uh, bring your child to therapy. You, you better make some money because that child's going to First of all, don't listen to anything Shira says. She, we literally just had a conversation about her parents taking her to a new beach when she was six. <laughs> something ain't right. Something in the, something in the water ain't clean and i am ready to report it i will be your karen because there there's some there's something a a foot and i don't i don't like this at lgt shows where you can find us on social media let us know if you think this is cute or creepy is this okay i don't even think it's cute why are you giving these options coming up on the show caitlin jenner's first campaign ad for governor of california are we into it are we not oh my god that's next she's asking all the worst questions Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Welcome back to the show. This is Shira and Ryan, and this is Let's Go There. All right, let's get into this. Coming up, how Biden will take on the anti-trans bills across the country. He's got a plan. And Caitlyn Jenner continues her push for governor of California with a new ad. We're playing that in the T-Reports. Stick around for that in a moment. But first, let's get into some what's trending this hour. Republican lawmakers around the country are continuing to tighten voting laws, despite lots of warnings from business leaders that the measures could harm democracy and the economic climate. 
More than 50 companies and business organizations, including some in Texas, released an open letter today expressing opposition to any changes that would make it harder to vote in that state. The letter signed by American Airlines, Microsoft, HP, Patagonia, Levi, Strauss & Co., and others comes amid votes on legislation that critics say would place disproportionate burdens on minority and disabled voters. Now, Disney's got a new line of LGBTQ plus pride themed merch from pins and tees to the iconic Mickey Mouse ears and rainbow colors. Disney is going all in with what they're saying is their new key of inclusivity for guests as well as cast members. So they've got this new line of rainbow colored official Disney products, which for the first time include more color, more pride flags, as well as the transgender pride flag, bisexual pride flag, and lesbian pride flag. And it comes just in time for Pride Month. And part of the profits will go to support LGBTQ plus organizations like GLSEN in the U.S., Diversity Role Models in the U.K., Minus 18 in Australia, and trans organization Hourless in Spain, in addition to others. So very co- cool. Good on Disney. And an early Yaz Queen, I guess. But uh, that was What's Trending this hour. What's happening in entertainment news, Ryan? Kaylin Jenner, she dropped her first campaign advertisement ahead of, you know, obviously, uh, California Governor Gavin Newsom's likely recall election. It's time for the T-Report. Those pop culture stories trending right now. So this woman then released a three-minute video where she basically called, uh, you know, politicians, career politicians um, as elitist. And she also declares that she will be governor for all Californians. Here you go. The government is now involved in every part of our lives. They've taken our money, our jobs, and our freedom. California needs a disruptor. A compassionate disruptor. I came here with a dream 48 years ago to be the greatest athlete in the world. Now I enter a different kind of race. Hey. So, yeah, I just I just really don't understand what Caitlyn Jenner is trying to do at this point. Um, it doesn't even feel like I can take this seriously. It, it just feels like a um, parody to be quite honest. Um, but she really feels like she has a change and she, um, a chance. And she really feels like, um, she is the person to change all of, uh, the political game out here in, in California. She also adds this. She said, I want to carry the torch for the parents who had to balance work and their child's education for business owners who are forced to shut down for pastors who are not able to be with their congregation for the family who lost their home in the fire for an entire generations of students who lost a year of education. So here's the thing. While a lot of people did criticize Newsom for everything, California is kind of doing the best right now. So it's like, um, good job. I'm trying to recall someone who now like is helping us get through this and get to the other side of it. And the funny thing is all the things that she wants to do is all the things that Republicans couldn't even clap for at the state of the reunion. I mean, uh, when they said child, you know, children, you're bringing up children. They couldn't even uh, clap for uh, the cutting half childhood poverty, you know? And so it really seems like things that she wants to do isn't most definitely aligning with Republicans, except for her unfortunate um, anti-trans comment that she made. Um, so, yeah, if you want to check out more of that, head over to WeAreChannelQ.com. You can watch the whole three-minute video if you feel like giving yourself some trauma. Okay. 
Well, you know, Biden is doing a lot to confront these anti-trans bills across the country. His strategy that he announced today with the HRC, that's next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. We're wrapping up the show with some positivity like we always do with our Yes Queen of the Day. Yes, Queen. So this woman had her baby on a flight. That's enough of a headline. The, the other part of it is What a messy is situation. She didn't even know she was pregnant. I've heard stories like that. That's I know. normal. I've heard this. I still don't understand. I still don't get it. How you could be pregnant and not know. I, I mean, depending on what, I mean, it could be like the size of it all. Maybe you just think, oh my God, and maybe this is the quarantine 15. I mean. And right. then you just birth a whole child in the toilet. Imagine I, the surprise. Was it in the seat next to someone or was it in the the bathroom? Like their right. little well, air. They, they didn't give those specific details Well, that's away. important to know because I, her I, water broke probably they, over people's shoes. They brought her away from the rest of the people. What, were they not on the plane? They were on the plane, but somewhere. Where are you going on the plane? Uh, yeah, I guess in a corner of some sort That's of That's what back. I'm saying. There's not they that much room the on these planes. Well, this happened to Lavinia Lavi Munga, who boarded a flight from Salt Lake City to Hawaii. What is her name? Lavi. That's her nickname. I love That's pretty. Yes, it is. Uh, so she basically had the baby in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. 35,000 feet up. She said, I didn't know I was pregnant, and this guy just came out of nowhere. Uh, her newborn son, Raymond, uh, was taking... All of that with a name like hers, and she <laughs> named him Raymond? And she obviously decided that right in the moment because she didn't know she was having a child. She's going to change it, hopefully. She says it was b- very overwhelming, and I'm just so lucky there were three NICU nurses there. Imagine, oh, wow. like, she got very lucky. Yeah. Like, the universe was looking out for her. And a doctor on the plane to help me and help stabilize him and make sure he was okay for the duration of the flight. Uh, that's because, you know, Did the baby was the born early... Board? I have so many questions. This yeah, is really me too. We should get the doctor on. The doctor on board, Dr. Dale Glenn, is a family physician who practices in Honolulu. What are the chances? He said that an unusual emergency call came from the crew halfway through the flight. And he said he's heard this before, like, oh, you know, is there a doctor on board? This one was like, medical help now. This is a Grey's Anatomy episode. It was crazy. So anyway, she's so lucky that the nurse's expertise was in all of this. Like, the whole thing just blows my mind. Basically, mom and baby are healthy and happy, and everyone is applauding this amazing miracle baby story. Do you think she has to pay for someone's dry cleaning? Because, you know, I feel like she probably wrecks yeah, people's shoes. What about health care? Did she now just, like, now she doesn't have to pay? You know how expensive what? it is to have a baby? She doesn't pay health No, be- because they, you know how expensive it is to have a baby, like, in the hospital? So <gasps> I wonder if she saved oh, money. so no bills. Maybe she's paying expensive dry cleaning for the airplane. <laughs> Who knows? But that was our uh, yes queen of the day. Wow, can you imagine? Well, I could never imagine because I don't have a uterus. But could you imagine? I mean, I've I've imagined i know this happens to every you're woman. pregnant it's right natural. now yeah it's this just is the announcement <laughs> <laughs> she just had a baby hello oh my god all right this is getting weird it's slowly going downhill or quickly that does it for our show today we appreciate you for hanging out with us and for being part of our wacky family here on channel q if you uh, miss any of our shows or interviews, we post everything as a podcast. Be sure to check out our podcast on the Odyssey app or our podcasts are available. Search Let's Go There. And on tomorrow's show, we're going to be talking about ghosting specifically amongst the LGBTQ plus community and what your daily emoji use says about your stress levels and how to change them. Okay. Check out your emojis. 
before you listen to that on tomorrow's show. We're here for you live weekdays on Channel Q, 2 to 6 p.m. Pacific, 5 to 9 p.m. Eastern live. And uh, stick around for Love Line with Dr. Chris, where he's covering LGBTQIA and sports. That's after this. We're sending you love and light. And honey, remember to slay. Have a great night. See you tomorrow.